Emmy Award-winning producer, actor, and comedian Larry Wilmore is back on the air, hosting a podcast where he weighs in on the issues of the week and interviews guests in the world of politics, entertainment, culture, sports, and beyond. Check out Larry Wilmore Black on the Air on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Popping Rowans. We got Greg Monroe in the building a little later, but let's get a quick topper in, Raj. Let's fucking let's talk. Oh, you want to top it? Yeah, let's do it. So, um, before we get to the pod, there's some things that happened beforehand that we just like we just want to touch on. Just talk around the league. We haven't really. I don't feel like we've talked around the league and done this, gotten our talk around the league bag in a minute. So let's just let's get into it. This um, is called a topper. I just said that, right? Okay. Anyway, you just <laughs> mess up the whole flow, like you always do. But <laughs> first thing I do want to get to big thing out of the news is JJ Reddick talking about how he was told one thing about his trade. He was told he was going to be traded to a place that he desired and he wanted to go to, which is Brooklyn was one of the places to be close to his family. And he said he had a conversation with David Griffin, who is, you know, I know someone that you are close with um, and that David Griffin said that, yeah, we will, you know, abide by that and try to send you to a place that is um, suitable for where you want to go. He winds up going to Dallas, far away from Brooklyn, and he said on his podcast that he was pissed and that no fr- no agents would trust that front office going forward. I don't necessarily believe that. I I know we've both been in this business a long time to know that there's really no loyalty, even for star players. There's no loyalty for that. I'm not surprised that they took the best deal over the best interest of a player. What do you think, Raj? Um, I would like it's a, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there, a whole lot to unpack. I'm, I'm definitely not going to do a good job of, of touching on all that I'd like to touch on. So let me just start by saying I've not spoken to David Griffin or Trajan Langdon about trade, but to echo what you just said and to double down a, a organization's first order of business is to do what's best for the organization. The, the, the president and the general manager, their job is, is to do what's best for that New Orleans a Pelicans franchise and the owner. Um, 
JJ, by all accounts, is a is a good dude. I only know him to say what's up. He seems like a really intelligent cat. He's obviously a great player. I don't. I, I want to be fair, but I think it does speak to a level of entitlement um, to think that you were owed anything by anyone when you took a substantial bag not too long ago to go play in New Orleans. And I don't have any bags in general and multiple bags and get your money, get your bread. I have no beef with that, but you could have chosen to stay in Philadelphia at the time, which was right. And I, what people are going to say, and I get it. No one could foresee the global pandemic and that he was going to be that far away from his, his family, but that affected everyone. Logan, that's not, it's not just JJ Reddick affected by that. And you made a choice to go play. And when you do that, and you take the bread, do you know how you can get back to your family if you really, really want to be with your family? Buy out. Buy out, retire, any number of ways. But when it gets put in the franchise's hand, they don't owe you anything. Now, I can't tell you that Griff um, was honest and forthright with him or not. I was not behind the scenes. I'm not privy to those conversations. I do know at the end of the day that you can't trust anything that most front offices say. And I don't think any any... Any I know that from a media perspective. Scared to do business with them because they weren't trusting them in the first place. Yeah, I mean, like front offices from an, a, a player standpoint, you probably can't trust them. From a media standpoint, you can't necessarily trust them either. They they're trying to just throw like like trade rumors, for instance. You don't believe trade rumors because they just throw stuff out there all the time. And I what I say that to say is. Trust, run offices and this business can't be trusted just because of the system that is in place. It is just right. a product of that system in place. It's no shade on anybody that's involved. It's just what we are in this business. You can't always be forthright and tell the truth. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but it is what it is. There's a lot of backdoor dealings and stuff. It's not a weird thing to say. Every business is like that. Okay, I'm just saying somebody just saying somebody outright lies. It's a part of the business. It just is what it is. If you did get lied to, it just that's what it is. You take it with a grain of salt. I I, th- I don't have any problem with 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 JJ feeling the way he feels about it. I really don't uh, because right. most players, the first time you come to the realization that you are ex- like just a piece in the in the in the overall puzzle um, and not like the piece, it's it. It sucks. Like everyone kind of feels some kind of way. I just didn't appreciate the way he kind of put it on the pot as if they were doing bad business. I think that was taking it a step far. I, you can feel the way you feel. And, you know, in one regard, like I have to feel good for JJ that it took him however many odd years. I don't know. What is he? 15 years 15 in now years, yeah. before you ever felt that way. That means you played and you've been important enough in different places to not. I remember being slapped in the face by, oh, are you just going to do me like that? Like they don't owe you anything. And and most players come to that realization at some point in their career. I think I would make the case that JJ has been lucky. It took him 15 years to really figure out that it can be a dirty business sometimes. Yeah, man. And that's cool, man. He's still on the way to feeling that pain. He got to the baggage claim for out throughout his whole career. So what? I think that bro. What? And you're playing with, it's, it's not, you're not, you didn't get shipped off to Minnesota. You're, in, you're playing. You went from Zion to Luca to Luca. I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, damn dog. Yeah, I, 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 I think this is a wake up call that everybody needs. It's like one. My coach Alonzo Carter always used to tell me, "Get your feelings out the shit." That's it. Was he told me that at a young age? That is what. That is advice I will always take. Get your feelings out of it. 
Because once you put your feelings into it, you're going to get hurt, especially in this business. Once you put trust and feelings into all these things, it's never going to work. That's it's 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 a great lesson for kids. I I should take that line and use it because I typically say to the kids, you got to say it with the accent. You got to say it with the accent. I, I I will try. I'll work on that. I ask them, like you know, if they, hey, are you tired? Or they'd be like, yeah. Or like, hey, are you upset that you didn't do that? They'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, guess what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's the same. The league's that, not going to stop because you don't feel away. You feel right. away. Correct. I think it's a good lesson. And and again, I'm not mad at JJ for feeling pissed it's about a natural a, feeling a to feel. It's it a natural is. Feeling to feel. I have yeah. felt that. Like it's just that league doesn't owe anyone anything other than their bosses, and their bosses um, are more interested in protecting assets and having trade uh, uh, good picks and stuff like that than they are sending you to a destination that you'd like to be in. Yeah. Um, we're going to uh, foreshadow my ruin of the week real quick with our next segment. Um, Nina Westbrook has some smoke for Stephen A. Smith um, on behalf of her boo-boo, on behalf of her husband, on behalf of her king, who balled out um, at 30, 30-some points, 20, 20 rebounds. It's had like a crazy stat line. And um, historic stat line. Kind of saw the it was like the rust of old, and Stephen A says he was not impressed by it. Uh, said that he just you know he he just went in on it on the um, on the performance, and Nina has some things to say, and she put it on her Instagram, uh, real one. But Stephen A came back and said, and I, I thought this was a interesting point. He said that for everything bad that I say, you can think of 20 things that I've said good about Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because that's something that, and I'm not taking sides on this one necessarily. I guess I already brought uh, Nina as a real one. But what I'm saying is, it's interesting to hear that because that is true in life in a lot of ways. Of We polarize all the negative stuff that is talked about about us. Never mind all the great things I've always said about you. Never mind that I've always said that I respect your game and things like that. How do you maneuver as a player when you get you feed off the negativity? You f you feed off of people saying bad stuff about you. I don't think it would be good if everybody said something good about you. Where would the chip come from, Raja? Um, I don't know. The best in the world always have to figure out a way to find a chip on their shoulder. So even if it wasn't there organically, I'm going to find a reason and fabricate it in my own mind to come up with the chip. Uh, I, I do think there is something to a player like Russ who always, you know, uh, wears it so so visibly on his shoulder, if you will. Having people like Stephen A, or maybe not Stephen A, because Stephen A does sell some, and even yesterday when he his rebuttal was really complimentary for most of it until he decided until he went back in on Russ not winning a championship. I do think it helps Russ to have people like that. Ultimately, uh, I'm down with his, his his wife holding her holding her man down though, like that, or just you know anybody. I'd be down with a man holding his wife down, or or anyone holding their significant other down because like that's what you're supposed to do when you ride or die for somebody. You know, like yeah. you're supposed to hold them down. So I really appreciated that. What I think it's, I think there's just a kind of a misunderstanding between them. Russell Westbrook, I hear him saying, championships don't define me. And I live my life and I'm a champion just because I'm in the NBA. I co-sign on that 1,000%. Championships are dope, um, but it ain't the end all be all in life, right? When you're coming from some of the places people have come from, you know, and, and you've 
you've exceeded all expectations and overcome all odds, and now you get to to play, you know, in these games. And I would just say that Stephen A. Smith, um, I, I understand you you saying all that's dope, but he has to win a championship when you're putting him in the pantheon of greats. Like that's how we measure them. I'm I'm cool with that. You know, uh, I would say though that non impressive to say it's not impressive that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know how you know how goddamn hard it is to go out there and put those numbers up. Ain't even in a losing effort. Even in a losing effort, Logan, do you know how hard it is to accumulate that kind of stat line? So anybody out there saying it's not impressive, I I cannot co-sign on that. Um, I, I I had a beef with Stephen A. Smith saying like ownership um, at a company wouldn't appreciate you saying that championships don't define you because that is suggesting that that Russell uh, Russell Westbrook does not care at all about winning championships and he's just purely out there to get stats. And I don't believe that to be the case. I think what he's saying is I play to try to win, but if I don't, that doesn't define me. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think that let's be real, the organization argument, organizations, I'm not going to say they don't care about championships, but they care about money more. <laughs> you know, yes. So if if you put in people in the seats, Russell Westbrook is one of those people that put people in the seats. If you do that, the championship is a bonus in the eyes of a business. But I, I'm I'm right to say that, right? It doesn't matter if you if you win titles year in and year out. If you are getting them gate receipts and you and you are a relevant team in the league for a long stretch of time and don't win a title, I mean the bottom line is fine. The business bottom line, you have done your job. I, I agree with you 100%. Now, now, usually those two things go hand in hand, right? Like if you are that yeah. successful, you would be a team that's on the cusp of winning a championship and therefore after two or three years probably become frustrated with the with the lack of championship. So, but I do understand. But like, but like OKC, right? OKC, their bottom line, they was eating good. Absolutely. And, and, and Russell Westbrook was there and James Harden was there. Did they win a title? No, but did nope. they, are they, are they good? Yes. I'm that. with you on that. And those fans had a magical ride. Like that was a magical time to be an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Like, you know, a young Logan being a Laker fan when they were when they were star studded and whether they won a championship or not, man, you were a proud Laker fan in the building if you could get their type of fan. And I and a loyal customer throughout that time. Yeah, man. Yeah. And so my, this is that's just my beef with with the whole thing. And I think you know, to some degree, they're saying similar things. They just, they're they are not understanding what we, where each other's coming from. Russell Westbrook is out there pouring his heart and soul on the court, game after game, to win those games, the way yeah. he can impact those games. What he's telling you is, if I don't win a championship, giving you everything I got, that's not going to define me. I'm not losing mm-hmm. sleep over that. And that's okay. And to tell the man he got to be a better three-point shooter, I mean... Come on, that's dog. a recycled we, argument. Like, come on, dog. What are we doing? Yeah, he's never going to be Steph when it comes to three point line. But that's not who he is. I think I, I I do struggle with this though because it's like Russell Westbrook is the type of guy that needs that. So, in a perfect world, if everyone's saying, "Oh, you're good, you're great, you're good, I, we love you, we're doing all this," I, I'm trying to figure out where is Russ's chip going to lie. Right. If someone's and that's I think that's a conundrum that all players have to face. Right. Because you guys internalize all this this um, 
this bad stuff that we say about you for good. You guys do it constructively. The great ones do it constructively. What do you do when there is no criticism? Because that's unrealistic. You guys feed off of that, and that's what makes you guys better players, for better or worse. Um, Well, I think to some degree, um, you're overestimating how much all players care about what media members say. Like My chip didn't have anything to do with anybody writing anything about me. My chip came because I got disrespected when I was 12 or 13 years old by local AAU coaches and my middle school coach. And nobody ever thought I was good enough in terms of, you know, the talent that was surrounding me. And so that chip was organic. It was early and I kept it. And that's the way Russ comes across to me. I I'm, I mean, you know, Kevin Durant may be in all the media and maybe Russ is too, but I think that the chip has less to do with what you guys write or what we write and more to do with like who people are. Now, I did think Russ had something interesting. I know we don't have time, but he said something about um, in his rebuttal to Stephen A. Smith about a broadcaster on the UCLA broadcast um, creating a narrative about him that he mm-hmm. wouldn't be good at the next level um, and people needing to respect their platform a little bit more because you're dealing with people's future, right? You're yeah. already at the apex of your career. You are sitting on someone's TV broadcasting and talking about young men. Um, tearing them down for and 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 maybe jeopardizing their opportunity uh, at, at playing in the pros. I do think you have more responsibility than that. And I'm going to share a story. I, w- I was at a camp, top 100 camp, NBA. Should I say his name? Say his name. His name is Paul Biancardi. Okay, mm. he is a he is a um, recruiting guru from for ESPN, right? Like, and I was yeah. coaching with him. I heard him tell a young man that if this young man didn't pay better attention or something like that, that he could affect his ability to get recruited with his power. I did. I was so appalled at that. And, and, and I just, at that time when Russ said what he said, I reflected to that moment, you know mm. what I mean? And you do yeah. like that. Some people feel that way about the power that they hold over young men and their position and ability to affect, then moving forward. And you have a responsibility when you're in that position. For sure. I think especially when you're in a commentating role, especially when I have, I have two thoughts about this. You do have a responsibility when you're in a commentating role, similar to like the UCLA guy, because he's a UCLA guy. So like, why would you, why would you do that? Um, Stephen A has a platform and with those platforms, you have to be really responsible. Even on the real ones, you have to be really responsible with how you, you talk because the voice really matters and it carries. I will say the other point to that is if you're a journalist, you do have to be fair though. You know, if the dude is just messing up and, and you have to write what you see. Now you have to be responsible with what you write, what you write with what you see, but you nonetheless, you still have to be, res- you have to write everything you see. So if a kid, if Raj is messing up, I got to write it. I can agree with that. That's not on me. That's not on me. But when you are in a commentating role and you're just saying, blanket indictments on people and things like that. That's where it gets, that's where it gets tricky and dicey. Yeah. Is that like fair? If you, yeah. Yes. If you are, if you are accurately reporting what's happening um, as a journalist, th- th- I, no one can be mad at you for that. Like there, you know, but if, if, if you, you know, if you haven't done your homework or if you're just going to do something off the hip out of, out of, uh, you know, out of emotion, like, you know what I mean? Or if you are irresponsibly doing it, I agree with you, Logan. Like that's, that's not, Fair, but and I'm not going to say there's there's also people in our business like journalists that do that that will just go out of their way and say I'm going to fucking ruin this person. 
and I'm going to do this. And that's where it's not cool because it's not journalism that's acting on vendettas and that's acting on out of spite for people. And that's not cool. That's not cool. And that's what I took away from my interaction. It said camp, right? That's what I, mm -hmm. that's what I took away from that. And that's when I was, you know, I started to, I was still a player at the time and my eyes were starting to be open to what happened behind closed doors in terms of the, of the politics of, of, you know, basketball at the grassroots level, going up through college and then in the NBA. And I got even a, a wider eye opening when I got to Cleveland. Um, so it's just interesting though. So I can co-sign on a lot of what Russ said. Yeah. Well, um, man, this is a great topper, but we got to get to Greg. Yeah. Greg um, was dope. Greg was dope, man. We talked about a lot of stuff, him trying to get back in the league, um, early experiences with Giannis. I mean, a lot more, man. So check it out. Real ones, Greg Monroe. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. What's poppin'? Real ones. Logan Murdoch here with Raja Bell. We have a special guest in the building, Raja. Who we got in the building, Raja? Yeah, we got the one and only uh, Georgetown alum, Greg Monroe, in the building. Um, hey, Greg, uh, first of all, bro, thanks for carving out some time uh, to pop on with us today. I know um, because I'm down in the Miami area that you're in this area uh, tell tell me where you're at right now, because like we usually get people sitting in their crib, like in front of their, you know, a glass of wine and shit like that. Tell tell me oh, yeah. where you're at right now. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, first, I want to thank you guys for uh, having me on here. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, but right now I'm in Miami. Uh, I'm at the Miami Perimeter uh, working out with my guy, Stanley uh, Remy. Uh, I've been here for a couple of months now. Uh, just, just grinding, man. Uh, standing in shape. Uh, you know, working on my game, trying to get better every day. Uh, it's been great. It's been a great atmosphere here. So I really enjoy being here. What's it been like to try to get back into the league during COVID times? Because it's one thing to do it, you know, that way. And then now you put the extra level of the pandemic on there. Uh, right. I mean, you know, obviously it's been a little tough uh, with everything going on. There's so much going on. So many guys that are trying to get in. Uh, so I've just been focusing on the work. You know, I did start the season off overseas uh, in Russia. Um, but end up coming back just having some difficulties over there um, as far as on the business side. Um, and so uh, just being back here, just trying to uh, sharpen up my, my game and also stay in shape, staying ready in case the opportunity uh, presented itself. Um, see, most people don't know, Greg, like what it, what it takes and what the runs are like. My son trains with Remy down there in their youth groups, right? So Funny story, though, Austin hit me like three weeks ago, like, hey, man, we might need you to come down and hop in a run. I'm like, yeah, no, dog, that's not that's, <laughs> that. No, that can't happen. Um, But, uh, you know, you guys had a really good group of guys that come down through there, like Trevor Ariza was working out down there yeah. yourself. Um, You know, I know I know, um, you know, what Dion Waiters has been in town a bit and Amari will pop into the gym. Be night. Those runs are are really high quality, stay in shape, keep you sharp runs. My question for you is like, 
these teams down the stretch that are looking to fill these these select spots on their roster, like what is Greg Monroe bringing to the table for them? Like, go ahead and plug yourself, dog. Like, what do you right. what do I you mean, bring? You know, um, well, obviously, our game has changed a little bit, uh, adapting to the new game. Um, but definitely, just you know, stuckness, obviously, uh, rebounding, um, a communicator. Uh, I try to be as best of a leader as I can. Um, you know, just someone with a lot of experience. Um, you know. In the playoffs, also been on a lot of good teams, um, so I'm ready to come in and whatever role is prepared for me, uh, I'm ready to accept it. Uh, I know what I bring to a team. I know the skills, the versatility that I bring. Uh, just about getting an opportunity to showcase that, um, show that I, my game has evolved, and uh, you know I've been working on my game and changing to fit more of the style now. So I, you know I I bring some of the stuff I brought before always, certain things that I always bring, but I've also changed my game to obviously adapt to the new style. How's it been to be at this level? Because you're a guy that's always played in, in the playoffs and played during the stretch run. What's it like for you to be working and seeing the playoffs happen, but not being able to be a part of it right now? Uh, I mean, it's been different. Um, I mean, obviously, the last couple of years I've, I've been playing overseas, so I've, I mean, it's you know I've been watching the playoffs and not been a part of it. But you know, right now, I definitely am focused on trying to get on a team and make a run. Um, and so you know, it's tough, but I've been focusing on the work. You know, that's what I can control. Um, and that's so that's always what I would like to focus on. Like I said, it's been great here. The runs have been great. Um, the guys we named, but also, you know, just shout out the guys who are here, the pros, the college players that are coming through. Everybody comes in and competes. Uh, guys try to play the right way within these runs. So it's definitely been good to be here and stay in this shape and working on my game. Um, it, it's, I, I can hear people in the background. Is Stan in the building right now? Yes, Stan. Remy. Watch this, Logan. I got something for Stan. I got, yeah. Okay. I might okay. give my hair. I might have to yeah. give him one. I might have to give him one. Remedy. Remedy. Remy, what's up, dog? What's up, Mr. Bell? How are you, brother? Hey, man. First of all, you, you're doing great work down there, man. Congrats on all the success and all of that stuff. If, if you, For those of them who don't know Logan, I don't know if you know, Remy is one of the foremost trainers, like, working with NBA dudes, college dudes, youth dudes. Um, he does a great job down in this Miami area. I got one question for you, homie. How dope is my young fella Ty Bell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just no, playing, no, no. dog. I'm well, just playing. Can I, can, I, can I say a little bit about him? Yeah. Obviously, you know, just knowing your history and, and your swag throughout the NBA and how people respect him, it's like he literally just took that from you. <laughs> like, he is... He literally just took that from you. Like, he's one of the toughest competitive dudes I've ever been around for his age. And that's something you cannot teach. So yeah. if you have that, everything else comes. You know what I mean? You, you don't have to worry about instilling dog in him. He's got it. Yeah, he got all, he got all the good and the bad. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Logan, I'm going to let you open it up. But I do want to ask Stan one quick question, because the hardest thing I felt um, in the summertime was recreating, like, the actual – tenor of an NBA game, the tenor of an NBA practice. Um, how? What's your approach to that with these guys like Greg? Because, you know, it's one thing to keep them training. It's another thing to keep them really sharp so when that opportunity comes, they could hop in seamlessly and be productive. Yeah, absolutely. I, to me, you know, even in my training philosophy, I feel like training and playing is equivalent, right? You, you put in all this work, you work on all these skills, work on all these things. Um, you have to put it together so that it can it can implemented in the game, right? So my whole idea, um, shout out to my brother Rico Hines, right? You know, at UCLA, he used to create these runs. And when I was, you know, coming up in the training business, I was like, wow, that's sick. Like, 
the way guys can train with him in the morning and go play in the afternoon or, you know, and they can implement everything that they've been working on. I said, I got to do that. And I said, I have to be able to do that. And then just from the city of Miami, everybody stops through here. They say, Stan, we can train with you, but there ain't no runs. Y'all ain't got no runs here, man. So I got to go get the plane somewhere else. So when I saw that and guys were asking for that, I said, no, nah, this this has to come hand in hand. It's, it's just as important. That's, that's as one of the biggest reasons I'm here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the fact that, and then the pandemic, um, with that happening and everything shutting down and you have a private facility, you're able to, you're able to put it together under my circumstances. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys are reaching out um, that were even active or inactive. They were like, listen, we got to play. You know what I mean? So it was something that was a priority for me. Definitely put that together. All right. That's what's no up, doubt. man. No doubt. So, Greg, question for you, man. You were a... Uh, you are from, you know, Louisiana, New Orleans area. We always know that that area is a football hotbed. Oh, yeah. What was the basketball sure. scene like that uh, grow, growing up? And how did how did you make that transition to being a, a hooper? If You know, did you play football? How did you get to playing basketball in a state like Louisiana? So you definitely start off as kids playing football. Everybody plays football. You know, like you said, just football is definitely king of Louisiana. Um, so you start off playing, but I've been taught my whole life. So, you, you know, I kind of didn't have a choice, you know, um, but especially um, at the time when I was in high school, um, Katrina hit when I was a sophomore, Hurricane Katrina hit when I was a sophomore in college. And so that definitely changed the landscape of basketball. Um, at the time, I was a pretty highly rated recruit and we had a lot of talent. We had a lot of talent in the city, but when Katrina hit, uh, a lot of players had to, you know, migrate to other schools. A lot of schools, a lot of schools were closed, and I think that changed the basketball landscape a little bit, just because of how guys had to play with different players. A lot of times, you were playing with better players than you normally did. Uh, but I mean, I love basketball, so as I started playing, you know, it's one of those things where as soon as I touch the ball, as soon as my dad put the ball in my hands, I know I love it, and so I just been. Just been, you know, sticking with it at around 13 is when I really took it seriously. Uh, I met an AAU coach and he just asked me one day, um, you know, how far do you want to take this? You know, um, you know, he's, you know, obviously he's older at that time. You don't really know. You just playing the game. Um, but, you know, just one conversation he had, he was like, man, you know, you could be really good. Like, uh, how far do you want to take this? And uh, from that conversation on, I kind of just took it really seriously and just tried to become the best player I can. How, how did you get, I mean, you're, you're a lot younger than me when I was coming up, like as a young, you know, black athlete playing basketball. Like there were a few schools that you identified with, right? Like um, Georgetown being first and foremost, at least on my list. Like, was that a team that, that, that you always dreamed of playing for? Or how did you wind up getting pulled up out of Louisiana? A lot of, I mean, no, Louisiana right. keeps a lot of his talent, bro. Like they're good at that. For sure. So it's funny. Georgetown, like the last school that recruited me, um, but they do have a long pipeline of Louisiana to Georgetown players dating back to rest in peace to Big John, John Thompson Jr. Um, I mean, he would come down there and, and get guys from Louisiana constantly. I mean, it's a long history. If you, you know, if you pay attention to Georgetown history, there's a long history as far as the basketball players being from Louisiana. Um, so it wasn't uncommon, but, um, you know, JTB was just straight with me. You know, um, I remember he came into for the home visit and, you know, he didn't have no crazy presentation. Came in, he opened a laptop, and he just showed me, he showed me clips of Jeff Green. Shout out my guy, Jeff. Right here, too. 
first out here too in the offseason. Shout out Jeff, my brother, man. But he just showed me clips of him playing in the offense, you know. And he looked at me and he said, can you do this? And I was like, I could do this in my sleep, you know. And then when I went on the visit, uh, it was me and my mom. I went on my official visit and I knew before I left that I wanted to play basketball there. You know, it was a quick, I got the end of the weekend. My mom was just like, how you feel? And I said, mom, I want to, I want to come to college here. And she said, good. And that was the conversation we had. Um, I told JT3 I was going to commit there on my visit. I canceled the rest of my, my visit to other colleges that I was visiting. And, and, you know, it's been history from there. And I don't regret that was that decision at all. Wow. I mean, this is a, it seems like there's an aura when you, go, when you touch campus on Georgetown. What was that yeah, like when that visit? Uh, yeah, it's different, man. It is. Especially, uh, you know, I, you know, they, you know, they kind of laid it out for me. I was there during midnight madness. Okay. Uh, the whole weekend, you know. So it was. Oh, you were you were that recruit. You were that guy. Yeah, you was, got the Midnight Madness experience. So you know, it's crazy though because I could have went anywhere, but they you know they made sure I was there for that weekend because I could have chose a different uh, college, but I wanted to be there for that. Um, and you know it was just great, man. It laid it out. Obviously, uh, I don't think people realize how much Big John was still you know, a figure on campus. You know, he watched us practice every day, like set on the side, watched us practice every day. Um, and so that was a big part of it too, having that resource there on a daily basis. You just talk to the bounce stuff off of uh, That was definitely huge for me. And I know it's huge for a lot of players. I mean, you saw it when he passed away. I mean, guys that came to that college 20 years after he was coaching, um, talked about him like they played for him. Uh, that's the kind of person he was. That's the kind of influence he had. And, he shared any knowledge he could with us. So it was just so many reasons why I was happy to go there. And, you know, to this day, I don't regret it. Yeah, he was, he, I mean, I didn't get to know him, but he looked like a great man. Like I said, I always wanted to play. My story with them is they came to see me in an open gym, right? Like, I don't know how the hell I got him to come down. Like my dad was <laughs> on his grind because my, my high school coach yeah. didn't do shit. But they came down, they watched me, Logan. Like they watched me and they were like, yeah, not bad. Thought you were bigger. Bye. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, thought she was Greg Monroe. Bye. <laughs> thought you were six eight. Sorry. Um, well, let me hey, tell you something. One thing, one thing he won't do you is bullshit you. That's what you want. He won't hey, do that. He, he no, he did not. That. They were like, yo, straight that. up. That's um, not I still, I like, I always still like. He was my favorite coach of all time. Like, yeah. I would have still loved to have had a chance to play sure. there. I, I want to ask you as you transition though, like, and you, and now you're you're out of Georgetown. You're dropped into Detroit, um, and I, I believe you were second team all rookie that first year, right? Like. Um, what what was that transition like like for you making the move from a a, a spot like Georgetown where you have that father figure in, in a way and then when you're on the NBA it's all by yourself baby I mean some people are blessed to have coaches but sometimes you get dropped off you do you do but I was lucky so the year before uh, I went to college for two years after my freshman year one of my teammates was drafted to the Pistons so when I got there I had a college teammate already on the team and that was a huge help for me uh shout out to Dewan Summers uh my big brother he was already on the team so that was a huge help for me as far as my transition into the NBA you know having somebody that had that one year under their belt somebody you already knew you could talk to but also um um you know shout out to my vet you know we all have our our vet our one person that really really took care of us and and, and Ben Wallace Definitely mm. did that for me. Body. Without a, without a doubt, man. He, you know, took none of them under his wing. Um, you know, he shared as much knowledge as he could with me. I mean, 
Hey, Greg, real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm going to interject. I don't like doing this. Logan tells me it's bad journalism. But I, I do want you to I want you to dig in a little bit because I like to ask people that. I didn't want to ask you because I do it to all the guests and it comes off a little. But what is that relationship like with, with that vet? Like East Snow took me under his wing in, in Philadelphia. And then Michael Finley took me under his wing in Dallas. Like off the court, like share for me what Ben Wallace was to you. Like how that helps a young fella. It was so crazy, man. It, it was like, as much as he helped me on the court, he helped me off the court. Uh, you, you saw how a real professional should move, um, how he how he handled his business, uh, how he interacted with his family. Um, and he was one of those guys that was an open book. You know, um, you know um, he didn't perceive himself to be perfect. He would teach you just as much from his mistakes as he, as he did from his success. And that's one thing that I liked about him. And like, he would like, I mean, it's not like I was against it, but he would force me to understand that off the court means just as much as on the court. You know, like he would make me go to dinner with him. Like no choice. Like we going to dinner, we'll get to a hotel, be downstairs in 10 minutes. We're going to dinner, you know, spending time with your teammates, understanding like you put in the work, but you also, you get to know these guys, you know what I'm saying? It's, you know how this man, you play the league for a long time, man. As big as this world is, there's only a select few amount of people that can get to play in this league. When you nice. when you think about the when you think about the grand scheme of things, so it's not that many people you have this in common with. And I think he understood that. He wanted me to understand that. He was great for me. I appreciate everything he done done for me. He did for me. And uh, you know, uh, shout out to him. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I know he's on the ballot, so he yeah. definitely. I think he definitely should be in for sure. Yeah. I mean, the numbers don't lie. What he did yeah. on the defensive end is, shout yeah. out to Big Ben for sure. He was, he was a big help for me. What was the biggest lesson you learned from Ben? What was something that, you know, he brought you out and he was like, Greg, don't do this. What are you doing? What's what's going on? Um, I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> nah, <laughs> dog. You know, hey, listen, you know, bro. You know, hey. I know you can't everything, man. <laughs> You know you can't say everything, man. <laughs> that's a good um, lesson, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tough, but um, I just remember it was one instance. This is one thing I definitely learned, man, um, from him. Um, how you how you handle people that you're around, you know, and you love, um, but they might do something that disrespects you. It happens in in in, in life, you know. Someone mm-hmm. you might think you have a certain relationship with. Um, and they might do something that disrespects you. I won't get into specific, but this is one thing that something happened with him. Somebody did something that he felt was out of line. And knowing Ben Wallace, knowing what he wanted to do (laughs) and what he ended up doing, um, you know, I just, you know, at a young age, I was 20 when I came into the league. um, And so to, to understand, like, you have to control your emotions despite, you know, what you may be feeling is very vital and important. Um, and so I'll leave it at that because he was, and I, and I understand the whole situation, you know, I understand everything that went on. So he was definitely, you know, he definitely had to really, from from his morals and his beliefs, how he grew up and how he probably thought he should react, that he didn't. And I respect that for him. What's it like in the league? You just said you got in the league when you were 20. What is it like in the league when there's so much expectations on you so fast? And people want you to be a finished product by 2021 20, years old. Do you think that there there should be a bit more leeway for a young player to grow up, or do you think it's good the way it is right now? 
it should be maybe, but it won't be. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. this this is big business, you know, and this and then this yeah. business, you know, it's, it's it's the business of winning, and so people are going to want you to be ready to win immediately. I mean, that's just how it is. Um, that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, guys, you know, you can't duplicate the NBA. You just can't. You know, so unless guys get that experience and actually play in the league, practice with with actual NBA players every day. You, you won't be ready. You know, it's an adjustment. I don't care how good you are. Some people obviously turn a curve earlier, but it's going to be adjusted for anyone. I think it's just about the people that are around and your focus, your mental toughness, uh, being able to endure, you know, and roll with the punches as you grow as a player. For sure. What was your um your your NBA welcome to NBA moment? Like, oh man, it ain't it ain't like Georgetown. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm here now. <laughs> I won. Welcome to the NBA moment. I had a few. You know? <laughs> uh, well, listen, this is what I'll say. So it, it came pretty quick and we're here right now. So when I got drafted, that was the year the Big Three formed in Miami. Mm-hmm. And that was my first preseason game ever mm-hmm. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take long for me to, <laughs> to get that, okay, you're the NBA. I mean, those guys, and you know how fast those guys played. Those guys were moving so fast. And like immediately, I understood like okay, like the NBA is different. The speed of the game. I mean, LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh, all those guys, just the whole Heat culture. Those guys were moving at a totally different pace than everybody else. Could you see LeBron had the little? The, he had a, he had a little red in his eyes during that time. Like D-Wade and all them, they they had a little bit of a chip that time. Could you tell in the preseason? Yeah, like the first, like obviously that was the first showing for them like the first mm-hmm. actual showing for them. So they definitely came out and they were locked in uh, trying to, you know, kind of set the tone for the rest of the season, for the rest, for the rest of the teams. Like they were, they were definitely ready to go. Uh, they were locked in, you know, being in the league for years now, knowing that people aren't really that locked in for the preseason. They were definitely locked in for that game. And they, you know, they were setting the tone for the rest of the season, obviously. You know what was so unique about them? Even though they were preparing for the league, they were trying they were trying to prove to each other. Yeah. Like they were trying to show each other, like, hey, I'm the shit. <laughs> right. Like, I'm, I know you're here and you're here and we put each other together, but I, I, it's my team or this is my team. Well, they didn't know whose team it was at the time. Right. So they were trying to prove to each other how elite each other were. So they were not only battling with the other teams, they were battling amongst themselves as well. Let me just ask one more question because I know you got a dip about this process with Greg. Um, you know, I, I saw Justin Anderson at one of my son's flag football games the other day. Like he had a he had a nephew playing in it, so I know he's in town working with y'all. Like, what it from from? Do you got teams uh, coming around? Like, are teams calling? Like, what is what is the process? Because I was out of the you know as I got older, I spent a year like trying to get back into the league. You know, and the process was 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 what it was at that time. But during this COVID protocol, what's that process look like from a trainer's perspective? Trying to sell some of these dudes that. To, to teams to let them know that they're still, you know, valuable pieces to NBA franchises. Well, absolutely, man. Um, I think I've been doing this for a while, so my my rapport and credibility around the NBA is, is pretty good, right? So, um, I have a lot of relationships with GMs, owners, coaches, um, different people in the front office. So, um, and then also, I just wanted to create the buzz here in Miami. I wanted to change the narrative, right? Social media is so big now. Um, it wasn't so big when you were playing. So, like, you create the buzz and, and, and everyone sees what's going on here, right? So a lot of GMs are like, hey, well, you got a lot of good free agents in the gym. What's going on? How do they look? 
can you send me some exclusive videos unlike the ones that you have uh, on social media let me see some some and they and they ask for specific clips and then from there the clips ignites them they send it to their coaching staffs the gms and they're like you know what we're gonna make a private trip here we want to see them in person or we want to fly them out to see them and so it, it's it's a, it's been a lot of success stories that's came out of here you know like trevor being the last one um Spolster was so excited or how great a shape he was in for somebody who hasn't played one NBA game. Um, he was he was worried that he wouldn't have his rhythm, his timing, his conditioning. Obviously, like I said, it's it's almost impossible to mimic um, a real NBA game, but he was as ready as they come. He started within two games. You know, he played two games and boom, he became a starter now. So that, that's kudos to everything that we have going on here, making, making sure guys are ready. Same thing with Andre Drummond, who played last night in his first game, who hasn't played, you know, in over a month and a half, two months, and he starts right away. And I'll you know, talk to the Lakers staff. They were intrigued by how shape he was. So um, we just continue to, you know, push guys as hard as we can and, and simulate it as much as we can and, and just have guys ready. What's up? All right. Hey, go do your yes. thing, bro. I appreciate it. Look, and, and real talk, I mean, when I come down to watch Ty and them train, like, grab a couple videos of me shooting some Jays in my flip-flops. <laughs> send them so bad can, boys out, bro. So he can send it right, in the group chat. Go ahead, Remy. We appreciate it, bro. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate y'all. All right, bro. For sure, man. All right, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Greg, there was one time when, you know, we talked about you being in the league and, and things like that, but you were one of the top bigs in the league at a point in time. And you were one of the first guys in free agency where it was like, you know, it seemed like from the outside looking in, it was a foregone conclusion. You were going to go to the Knicks in 2015, right? And um, we were like, okay, he's going. And then he goes to the Bucks. What, what, what went into that decision? And what, what kind of, what is the process of being a free agent that is, has many suitors? How did, how did that go about? One of my main things, uh, going into my free agency was I definitely wanted to be on a team where I knew for sure we had a shot at making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had been in Detroit for five years. Uh, we didn't we didn't uh, get a chance to make it while I was there. So um, when I entered free agency, uh, one of the main things I was looking at was, you know, if the team was, you know, ready or on that cusp of being a playoff team. And at the time, Milwaukee uh, had just played in the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, they had that going for them. Um, obviously Jason Kidd was the coach. Um, and so, you know, and, you know, when I met with them, the owners, those owners are awesome owners. You know, I, if you follow the bus, you can see that they, you know, take, they do a great job of running the organization. So just meeting them, talking to Jay Kidd, uh, then knowing, um, you know, what they had did the year before. And then also me and Chris Middleton are really close. We played together in uh, Detroit. Um, so just, 
all of that, you know, coming together. Um, I knew Giannis was good, but he kind of really just took off. You know, I, I actually was there when I watched him just work his way to being a two-time MVP now. Um, and so, you know, with all that culminating, I just thought at that point that was the best place for him to go. I wasn't caught up in cities. Big markets. Mar- markets. I mean, you know, I ain't on no commercials. You know, you have to be, you know, you have to be real with yourself sometimes. Like, I'm not about to be in any commercials or anything like that. So, you know, it was purely a basketball decision for me. Um, and, you know, that's what I went into it. You know, just thinking purely about basketball. That was interesting because I was going to ask you that. Rob, Rob Hackett was your strength coach back then, right? I just missed Hack. I just you just missed Hack. Hack. All right. I just um, missed so, Hack, yeah. So at the time, like, because I, I, Hack, I guess, was there the year before I had run into him when I was working for Cleveland. And Giannis was not Giannis yet, you know? Like, yeah. but, but Hack said to me, he said, bro, he is going to be dope. Like, he really is a tireless worker. Like, yeah. head down. Yeah. Don't say shit. Just works. Um, that you guys saw that young, or b- b- keep it a buck though. Was it like, ah, oh, man, I don't know about that, or were, could you see the the seeds of it? <laughs> uh, I definitely saw the seeds of it. You know, when I speak to people about Yaris, I tell them all the time. I said, you know, I, he's a great player. There's no question about that. But the amount of I respect I have for him from seeing how he became a great player, you know, it, it's a different level for me. You know, and he is a tireless worker. That's completely 100% true. I mean, every night he would come back to the gym, you know, get an extra lift and work on his game. Um, and I mean, I'm talking about every night, you know, bring his brothers in there. You know, at the time his brothers were in high school, bring his little brothers in there with him, work out with them every night, you know, lift with them. Um, and so it's it's real. Like, his, his growth and, you know, where he's ascended to is definitely from working. You know, it's it's not like it was... He just had this, he has God-given talent and obviously God-given gifts uh, physically, but he definitely has worked his way to where he is, he is right now, for sure. What was a play in practice where you were like, this dude different? Like what, Man, what, what? Every day. Listen, the stuff y'all see on in games, on TV, is nothing. Nothing. When you're working out with him on a daily basis, practicing with him on a daily basis, competing, because we practice hard in Milwaukee. You know, I've been on different teams, you know, Jason Kill, you came in the gym, you're working, you know what I'm saying? Everybody understood that. Everybody pushed each other. And so, like, I mean, the stuff he would be doing, man, it was just unbelievable. Um, just, I mean, I can name plays, but, I mean, it's the same stuff. No, go ahead, go TV. ahead, go ahead. What, what, was, what was the move that he did that was that was crazy? I don't know, man. I mean, a guy with Euro from the three-point line and just take off from the dots. <laughs> And, and dunk it, you know, and not even think about it, though. You know, it'd be, it would be things like that, like on a break. You know, the stuff he's doing, he picks up the ball at the three-point line. Euro, in some kind of way, he's still at the rim, you know. Um, and that would be just moves like that on a daily basis, you know, spin moves. And just two people in the lane, and he's just up over top of them. I mean, it was crazy. I saw one where he was playing against the Knicks, and he literally jumped from the – he jumped from the free-throw line – backwards to to get space for a jumper, a fadeaway, and hit the game winner. Like, he, he dribbled at, did a step back, but he did, yeah, his I'm, step back was so far, got damn near to the three-point yeah. line, and it was a game I mean, winner. I was, I was on the like, team ah. for that game, yeah. I was on the team for that game. I was on, I was yeah. on the team for that game. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right at the free-throw <laughs> line, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. He's, yeah, he's a great player, man. I love him to death, man. Um, you know, just a great human being also. As good as a player he is, he's an even better human being for sure. 
were you were you were you was it on brand that he stayed for you that he stayed in oh, Milwaukee? Did yeah, you know that? You, sure. Did you know he was going to stay in Milwaukee for his? I didn't know. I'm not. I'm not privy to that <laughs> inside information. But when people would ask me, I would be like, I, I don't. I don't see him leaving. Uh, just knowing how he is, loyalty means a lot to Giannis. Um, I know that for sure. Um, and so, and like people don't realize, like you know, it's it's more than just he's been there. It's certain things that's happened in his life that these people have supported him through. You know, he lost his father. I was on a team when he lost his father unexpectedly. You know, I, I would see that man every day. It's things that the team did off the court that supported him also that would make any, and, you know, and I'm pretty sure they do that for a, a lot of players, but knowing Giannis and how he feels about loyalty and that family, you know, the family morals and values that he has, you know, I'm not surprised at all that he stayed. I was, if I had to gamble, and bet if I was a gambling man, I would have bet that he was staying. But, you know, I'm definitely not surprised. That's who he is. You know, that's the kind of person he is. He's serious about trying to bring a championship there. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy he did it. I'm happy for him and the organization. Uh, I know the relationship that they have. So um, I think it's a great decision. And I think, you know, they'll figure it out. Like I said, those owners are great. They're, they're right there. It's not like they're so far. You know, they're a player or two away maybe, um, you know, so it's just be interesting to see how they continue. But I'm not surprised he stayed at all. That's a it's a good point he made, Logan. And people like I tend to think if they would do that for Giannis and really support him in his time of need, that that's the type of franchise that would do that for any of the people in their building in their time of need because that's their that's their DNA, their culture. But there are organizations, and I know you know this, Greg. This isn't even a question that don't right. <laughs> don't see the human being. And, and the vulnerability at times and stuff like that. And it's just a business. And that's, you know, that can become frustrating as a player. Greg, I want to I ask you about, like, your transition from, from uh, you know, like, focal offensive point, point. Like, do you know what I mean? Like a cat that is going to be counted on for these buckets to more of a complimentary piece. I never really had to do it just because I was never really a real offensive piece. But talk to me about that transition for you, right? And then even the transition from, like, all right, man, maybe, you know, maybe that opportunity is not going to be there this year in the league. And I'm going to have to, I still got tread on the tire. I got to go play in Europe. You know what I mean? Like how difficult was that? Um, you know, did you come to grips with it right away or was it something that, that, that you had to soul search for? So as far as being a vocal point and, and, and accepting that's a role, I think that was pretty easy for me. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to win and, you know, just being um, on a team, you kind of see which role fits best for us to win. Okay. And so, um, you know, and, and in Milwaukee, you know, obviously I was making that transition to being a complimentary player. And I, and I didn't have any problem with that. Uh, I recognized that that was uh, the best for the team. Um, and so, you know, I went about it the same way I did, you know, anything else. You know, I, I know I would still be playing. I know when I'm on the court, that's all that really matters, you know, just being effective and playing the right way and doing whatever I can to help the team win. Um, and so that wasn't really a, a, a transition for me. Um, now, obviously, you know, going from the NBA to overseas, you know, you start in the NBA, you obviously want to finish there, want to play your whole career there. Um, so it was tough, you know, I, I'll be honest, you know, you just don't feel like I belong. I belong there. You know, I feel like I belong in the NBA. I still feel like that. Um, and so it's, it's, it was tough, but it's still basketball, you know, and it's, and it's still, you know, you're still playing at a very high level. Obviously, there's more than 450 NBA-level players. So when you 
when you're overseas, you know, you, you know, you just got to make sure you compete uh, and make sure you're playing, you know, the best you can. And, you know, it's a different game, totally different game. So it was more of an adjustment uh, playing basketball-wise than it was, you know, mentally for me. Let me, let me ask one more, because I, I too had to go. Like after my, after my first, second year in, in Philly, like I went to Spain, um, you know, there weren't opportunities. I had to make a call. So I, I decided I was going to go. I wanted to keep playing. Um, what did you find the hardest adjustment to be? Greg, I'm just, I, I'll tell you mine after you tell me yours, I guess. Like what, what was the hardest adjustment okay. for you? So one, I would say um, the NBA obviously is a player first league. You know, they kind of, you know, it's a business for sure, but they kind of cater to the players. You know, they they make sure that they exhaust all resources for the player. I feel like it's a little bit different in Europe when it comes to that. I think they, they are kind of a team first, you know, brand name first kind of, you know, that's how they run things in Europe. Uh, so that was definitely an adjustment. Um, I, I mean, it's just the NBA. Um I mean, for nine, I mean, if you do anything for nine years, you're just used to it. And so I was just used to the, the NBA routine, the the NBA, you know, lifestyle as far as when you're with the team, how you travel, the certain things you're accustomed to doing, how you can do them with your free time and things like that. And it was just different. You know, they kind of a little bit more strict with the time, especially when you're on the road. Um, traveling is a little bit different for a lot of teams. Um, you know, it's commercial. So that was a big adjustment for me. Also. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, a seven foot guy, six eleven, six ten guy that like that emergency row in enough. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when the other two or three guys that are six six, six nine are sitting you sharing a row with them. So you know your broad shoulders, you you know, you got a leg space, but you you all scrunched up. But I mean, you know, you get used to it. Um the travel and just, you know, like I said, just how the operation as far as the business side and how they interacted with players was much different. Uh, that was definitely the thing that me personally, I had to adjust to. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, all of that was really, really hard. Like you could obviously yeah. like, but on the court for me, like, and I thought it was really counterintuitive. That shit was really physical and they don't call the same amount of shit as they call in the NBA. Like it's like yeah. a war out there. It definitely is. You know, for me, you know, obviously I'm a bigger guy. So, you know, I mean, the physicality, I, I do understand the difference. I agree with you on that for sure. But, you know, that was kind of my game. So I right. didn't really have that problem. But they, it's definitely different over there, man. Like I heard the fans are lit overseas, right? Aren't the oh, fans man. like that did next oh, level? What? Hey, man, like for real, like that's probably the best fans. You go to some of these places, man, watch some of these teams. Like you play against some of these teams, man, these fans are, are definitely, a, they, they're a little bit more fanatic than American fans by far. They, they care because it's, 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 it's pride. It's their region. I'm, it's this pride. is mine. It's their, yeah. it's mine. It's their city. You know, they, they are fanatics for sure. It's different, man. You go to some of these Athens, uh, you know, some of these, you know, definitely in Greece, their fans are, or into the game that's serious about the game. Um, uh, Tel Aviv, man, Maccabi, they were, I mean, it's some, definitely some fan bases. You go in some arenas, they are better than some of these college atmospheres you might play in. So, their fans are definitely so, different. I heard that, man. What, uh, what uh, before we get out of here, what was it like, you, you talked a little bit about how um, the adjustment to your role 
And you said you were good with the role, but you know, you hear people that are like, oh man, he went to the Bucks. He signed this type of deal. He spurned this team. He's supposed to be the guy. What's wrong with Greg? What's going on? You know, and you can't control that. You're doing what you're supposed to do for your team, but you have to hear that other side of this for people that aren't necessarily in the building. What's that like? Um, well, for me, um, one thing I always understood was I'm not the first person that's doing any of this or that any of this is happening to. And so once you get past that, um, like I said, it was about winning for me. I mean, you know, obviously at this point now, you can see that Giannis was and is an unstoppable force. And so, you know, you you kind of got to, you know, when, you know, obviously in the team, you know, says, listen, we're going to build around him. This happens all the time. And so, um, you know, and I see it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real, I'm a realist when it comes to basketball. Um, you know, I have an ego, I have confidence, but you know, I obviously you gotta be real with yourself, you know, if you want to be successful. So you can see his growth. You can see the direction they were going. And, you know, we honestly were winning with the role I was playing. Like, you know, I was coming off the bench and the people, the group I was playing with, we were playing really well. We were one of the top benches in the league. And so, you know, with all that, it's like, I'm not a selfish guy. I'll never be a selfish guy. And so, you know, we're winning. I'm happy with my role. It's fun playing here. Uh, the team was really close. We had a lot of guys that were around the same age. So the team was really close. Um, you know, we had Jason Terry, who was the great vet. And so it was everything, you know, it was just easy uh, for me to accept my role because I was still playing. I was still doing what I what I do. You know, I just didn't start. And mm-hmm. I had no problem with that. Yeah, that's what's up. Um so, man, it was great having you. Before we let you go, man, we have this little segment that we call Real One of the Week, uh, where we shout out an entity, a person, an organization that won the week in your oh. eyes. I, I will go first. Roger will go second. You will go last. I have – it's a tie for me for Real One of the Week. Um, I have Paige Buckets from UConn out here balling. Uh, she beat Iowa last weekend. Beat uh, Caitlin in the, in the Iowa Hawkeyes with a triple-double. Mm. She's been balling. She's been balling so much that she's making me root for UConn, and I don't know how I feel about that right now. Stage <laughs> uh, Buckets is one of my ruins of the week. The other ruin of the week is none other than Nina Westbrook, who went in oh, wow. <laughs> on yeah, Instagram. <laughs> went all the way in. If you know, you know. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But shout out to Nina Westbrook for yeah, for, for being a real one. Yeah, that was tough. That. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Hey. <laughs> I want that for my wife. She's riding yes. die for real. Um, yeah. All right, real one of the week for me. I'll keep it college basketball. I, w- I wanted to go Ohio State, Justin Fields, but I always do football, uh, Greg, full disclosure. So I'll go UCLA men's basketball. Um, they were, what, first four in or play-in game. Final four bound, uh, Mick Cronin, Johnny Juzang, um, what's the boy, uh, Jaime Hakez Jr., uh, mm. just holding it down, beating Michigan. I felt for my man Juwan because I was pulling for him and, and, uh, and, and Big Blue, but it's a pretty damn cool story, and those dudes have exceeded all expectations in the tournament. So, right. real one, UCLA men's basketball. Mm. Okay. So, I'm going to stick with college basketball also. Also, I'm going to go with uh, John Juro from University of Houston. I actually know him personally. He actually played for my AAU team. I don't know if you guys saw the video. He actually lost a real close friend the past couple of days. Uh, they had a brain aneurysm after going to the hospital. So for him to, um, you know, not only play, lead his team to the uh, Final Four, but, to, you know, to, to talk after the game in an interview while, you know, the world is watching and to speak so candidly about his friend, 
uh, knowing what he was going through, like I said, knowing him personally, you know, I definitely would like to give it to him. And shout out to Brian Gresham, also his teammate. Both of them played in high school together. They're from the New Orleans area. And I'm definitely happy to see those guys, you know, have the success they're having and reaching to the, reaching the final four. Word, shout man. out, real one. That's what's up. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, man. Thank you again for coming on. No Welcome anytime. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. This was, this was a lot of fun, man. Greg Monroe, yeah. real one. Appreciate no you, man.